0: This episode is brought to you by Maranjai Water Drilling, a family-owned and operated team of fully licensed, insured and experienced drillers in the construction, mining and water services. They are licensed to drill and service in Queensland, the Northern Territory and Western Australia. They ensure all water bores are installed correctly and professionally the first time, every time. Quality bores tested and guaranteed. Learn more at au or find them on Facebook.
1: to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home.
0: If you travel a couple of hours northeast of Alice Springs, along the Plenty Highway, you'll pass one of the most spectacular parcels of land, Mount Riddick Station. With high-quality Hereford cattle and an abundance of pasture, you would never think that when the Cadso family purchased it over 30 years ago, the land was in poor condition and home to a motley crew of cattle and feral animals. In this episode, Steve shares the story of how his family came to be at Mount Riddick and why they chose to do things differently to bring the property to where it is today. To start, I asked Steve to tell me about when he first met his wife, Rebecca, who you may remember from episode 72.
2: We had uh, no, no one here, like it was only, only me working, and I, I needed, uh, needed someone to come and work. And At that particular time, there was two women in, in, in the district that were trying to line me up with a wife. One was Gail Hayes, the other one was Margot Knott. Now, they had been trying to introduce me to different girls here and there, and, and yeah, strike rate was nil. And uh, anyway, Margot knew that I, I was looking for someone to come and help me. It was, it was uh, I think, end, end of middle of June and uh, coming up to the Alice Springs show. And she, she rang me one day and she said, um, I've got this girl. She's, um, uh, she's, she's been a governess, she's off a farm. She's looking for a job. Um, it hasn't worked out or, or, or I, I can't remember what, what, what really happened. But anyway, she, um, she's looking for a job and we'd, we'd like her to stay in the territory for a little bit longer. Would you be interested in, in someone come to work for you? And I said, yeah, well, I am. I'm, de- I'm, desperate to, to have someone come here. Um, cause I'm sick of doing it all by myself. Anyway, uh, we came to Alice Springs show and these, Two governesses were going around uh, selling tickets to the Gubbies muster, which was um, you know, only just started. I think it was in. The, I think it might have been the first year of it. Anyway, we get I meet meet this young girl, and you know, she sort of took me eye a bit. I thought, hey, oh, yeah, I reckon that might be might be back that Margot was talking about. Anyway, it's coming up to the um, to the beef breeders d- dinner, and and. Um, I saw her, we were staying at a hotel. Um, it was Red Centre Resort. I went to go around the corner and ran smack banging into her, and I saw, her, "You're back, aren't you?" And she goes, "Yeah, you're Steve." And I said, "Yeah, yeah." And I said, "We'll talk later." And I was in a hurry, and she goes, "Yeah, okay." So um, we went and go and get dressed up and go to this go to the beef breeders, which was at the same hotel, and uh, got to talking to her around the swimming pool, and and uh, she was there with her parents and her, and her sisters. Her, other, her next sister up, Melissa, was there with her at, at the uh, beef breeder's dinner and we are standing out around the pool and, and uh, sort of, I suppose, job interview, having a bit of a yarn, and, and um, Melissa comes out and she goes, hey, I've got, I've got another bottle of champagne. With that, she's popped the cork and old mate standing alongside the pool having a fag and hit him fair in the forehead and in the <laughs> pool he went. So that was the start of it. So um, anyway, bet comes and works out here for... She rocks up here on my birthday, and we sort of had a fair few parties. At, like we had Hearts Range, was came up, and and uh, yeah, we 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 knocked around out. We had, we had a good time, and everything was above board, you might say. And then um, uh, she she left and went home, and uh, going back to uni, and anyway, got to the beginning of the year, and I thought, well, yeah, I might go down and see her. So I went, went via Adelaide and rocked up there, and. And I uh, rang her up and she said, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm in Armidale. And I said, well, I know how to get out to your place. And uh got out there and she said, um, what are you doing here? I said, well, you don't work for me anymore. Yeah, I suppose the rest is history.
0: <laughs> so I feel like you've told that. That last bit slightly briefly. So the way Beck tells it, and guys, this is just the best story ever, is that, yeah, Steve flew halfway across the country to visit Beck.
2: I didn't fly. I drove. Oh, you
0: drove? Oh, my yeah, gosh, yeah. you drove. Yeah, I, I th- thought I've you flew. I've never been
2: past um – um I've never been to Broken Hill. I've never been out of South Australia.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, so you drive halfway across the country to visit Beck and you turn up and she's like, Hey, yeah, cool. What are you doing here? And so when Steve said everything was above forty means like you were just platonic employer, employee. Well that's well, how Beck
2: tells me. Well it's it the worst six months of your life actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what yeah, yeah, that's what Steve says. So Steve has like very good morals and just yeah, it was we're very good at keeping that relationship very platonic and very professional. And Beck's like, What are you doing here? And you say, Yeah, you don't work for me anymore. And then Beck was like, Yeah, so. And then what did you say?
2: Oh, just one day at a time, I suppose. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Beck says, You said, Well, I can chase you now. And she's like, What? Anyway, I think that's yeah, the greatest there's, story. It's
2: pretty much like that. That's rest is a bit hazy from there on. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and how
0: many years later is it now? Um, Ooh, well, that's I might a- be
2: giving her age away if I say that. Um, yeah, it's 20 it something years now. Yeah,
0: three kids yeah. later. Yep. And a whole, yeah, um, a business and a family and, and a, I don't even like all the things that you've built together. Yep. So I just wanted to start off on that story because it's the greatest thing that. Yeah, you guys are working together. Beck was completely clueless, as she mentioned in her episode, she had no idea. Like, hadn't At least that's what she claims. I mean, I can only go by what she's saying. Yeah,
2: had that'd be, no that'd be, that'd, be, that'd be pretty right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was. Yeah, played played my cards pretty close to my chest. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's going to make every girl that's listening to this, because you know, and for girls and guys, it's always a bit of a dilemma when you kind of like someone. You're like, wait, do they like me? Do they not? Are they giving me signals? Are they not? And now everyone's going to listen to this and be like, oh, somebody really liked her for six months and didn't like had your poker face on the whole time.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, it, it it was easy because I'd, I'd sort of had a shield up from from yeah you know, from day one, I suppose, but um, you know. I always worked on because so the way I was heading, I, I didn't think I was ever going to get married because I, I, I ne- could never find or or f- found anyone that r- really, um, um yeah, made, made me prick my ears if you know what I mean. Um, then she come along and I thought, well, you know, I, and I always said all good things come to he who waits, and I waited and waited. Yeah, I thought I was destined to, destined to be a bachelor for the rest of my life, but. Anyway, here we are, 20-something years later. And, uh, yeah, still loving every minute of it.
0: I love this. I'm going to come back to this 20-something years later because when you were just like, I thought I was destined to be a bachelor, I'm like, that's me, Steve. You're my spirit animal. <laughs> we'll see if I turn out the same way or not. All right. So that is the the beginning of the story of Steve and Beck Cadso. So now I want to go way back in time to just the beginning of the story of Steve Cadso. How did you end up in the Territory, end up on a station?
2: Um, Mum and Dad met at Keith in in South Australia. Dad was a contract uh, scrub clearer and Mum was a governess on Bun Springs and she had been a governess prior to that at uh, Macumba. She was, anybody that knows Helen Kemp, um, she was Helen's governess and then um, she moved to Bun Springs and Dad was working next door at Kangaringa. He was a contract scrub clearer. They met at a barbecue, Um, I think it was must have been pretty quick because, um, mum, well, actually, um, Auntie Joyce, mum's sister, tells the story that, um, her mother got, just got a, got a letter and, you because know, mum used to write back to her mother every week and, and she's, oh, by the way, um, I'm getting married. I'm engaged. I'm getting married. Um, yeah. And so that, that's how, that's how that happened. And,
0: wow. When you know, you know, I guess. Yeah. At least yeah. back then.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Dad was, pr- dad was pretty, he was always pretty certain. And, um, anyway, they had a little farm and dad, dad had his contract scrub clearing business. He used to do 5,000 acres of mallee scrub to pasture every year on, on a place called Kangaringa. And they were looking for another place. Uh, they wanted to get out of the southeast of South Australia. And, um, so dad tells the story that mum walked past it one day and the stock journal was open on the, um, on the table to the property, um, you know, page for sale. And she said, well, if, we might as well buy that place for what it's worth. And that place was Phillip Creek. And uh, a few weeks later, dad was up at Tenet Creek looking at it. And I think it was bought in the January and, uh, of 1963. And I was born in, in the July of 1963. And we're there till uh, we sold out in December 86 to the mines and uh, moved, moved down here in March 87 to, to Mount Riddick.
0: So your mum kind of just said it off the cuff, just walking past, like, "Oh, well, if you want to buy something, you may as well get that." Hmm. And your dad took her quite seriously.
2: Yeah, well, and it was pretty much the same with this place too. And because uh, I remember dad asking mum a question, um, and it was like, you know, if you, if you were, if we ever moved from here, where, would you know, if we, say we went to Alice Springs district, where would you go? And she said, oh, it'd "Have to be Mount Riddick. We wouldn't have to. We wouldn't go anywhere that's, um, yeah, you because know, it's, it's got a pretty good name. You know, it's, we'd just go for the best." And, um, yeah, here we are.
0: I like it. What your mum says, it happens. Mm. She's talk about uh, manifesting something into happening. Yeah. And for anybody listening, if the name Phillip Creek Station sounds familiar, that's because it came up in episode. Oh, we're going back a bit now. I don't know what number it was, but with Lucy Daly. So, um, Kelly Daly's family purchased yeah. that. Did they purchase that? From you guys, or was that? A, was there a few people in between? Probably.
2: No, I think like uh, Daily Sport after. Uh, yeah, there was the mines sported off us, and I think there was an Abalone guy from Tasmania. Um, then I think the Dailies bought it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It was a. It was a it's it gone a through a few hands, yeah. yeah.
0: So if that sounds familiar, that's where you guys have heard that name before a few episodes a, back.
2: It was just a tin shed and 60 head of short on to We bought it.
0: Really? Yeah. So tell me about, so yeah, 1960s in the Territory. What? Well, not that you would probably remember if you were just coming out of the womb, but.
2: Um, What I remember the early days is like Phillip Creek, there was a lot of bare dirt, um, skinny cattle, and then gradually um, I, I it was sort of. I, I think we coming out. It was coming out of sixties drought, um, and then sort of the seventies. They were pretty wet, and then it it, it sort of everything covered up, and that was sort of the most I can remember. It was always wet. You couldn't get horses anywhere near near water because they're afraid of bogging when you're trying to muster, and um, yeah, you couldn't get off roads. Those feet was just bury themselves. Um, wow. Yeah. it, it was. Certainly a great place to grow up.
0: Can you paint me, I suppose, a bit of a snapshot of what life on a cattle station was like in, I suppose, the 60s and 70s and, and more so the production system and how running cattle in the Territory worked back then or in that part of the Territory?
2: What I can remember is um, everything was horseback. Um, there was no hel- – we didn't use helicopters, I think, till the oh, – yeah, I suppose the start of the '80s. I suppose when I was at school, and that that was um, that was only sometimes, and then a little bit more and more after, just after I left school. Um, but everything was horses. Um, you know, lot of lot of people. Sort of went, when you're mastering it, it went on for six months of the year. You know, go out and and uh, that's where you stayed. You know, if you got home, well, that that was well and good. Um, that was a bonus. Um. Yeah, it was it was different, but it, it was normal. Like everybody's used to it. Um, it. There was no, it wasn't hardship. Everyone knew what they had to do, and we all did it.
0: You must have seen such a well. There really has been a rapid rate of change in this industry in this part of the world in just your lifetime, and I, and I spoke about that with Miss Helen as well. So, Miss Helen, so your mum was Miss Helen's governess,
2: hmm.
0: and Miss Helen is your. So, Cousin, second, She's cousin second cousin, second cousin, and she ended up being your governess. And so, I think it's maybe in the in the seventy somewhere. We've yeah, got she that. Was,
2: she was my governess for six years.
0: Yeah, and so I think I know maybe episode seventy three or seventy one and seventy eight is our episodes with Miss Helen. If you guys were want to go back and catch those, and um and Miss Helen said that you know back in those days, Tenant Creek was like booming. Oh, like it, it was because I mean you drive through now, and I'm like I'm gonna fuel up and run back to my car. <laughs>
2: It, it was a place. It was pretty really different, like that. It was an up-and-coming town, um, and I, don't I, know I was what quite shocked. Um, like we left in eighty-six or beginning of eighty-seven, and it, it was still really going really? ahead. And then the mine shut down, and it just went dead.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. What was being mined out there?
2: Oh, copper and gold. I mean, there was, there was fifteen hundred people at Warrigo alone. Really? Yeah. Oh
0: wow! Because yeah, you had,
2: then you had um, the Gecko was still going. Um, white Devil had just, uh, uh, well, it was Black Angel then, and then it became White Devil. <laughs>
0: Black Angel, White Devil. Yeah. Well,
2: that, the Black Angel was just, just, a, um, just a little mine that was on, on that site. Yeah. And, but and the name White, White Devil was, um, yeah, it was only three or 400 meters away.
0: Interesting. Um, you think it would be like White Angel, Black Devil, but yeah. you know,
2: and there's, you know, there was still, um, Noble's Dog was still going, um, Pico had shut down, but, um, there was still a lot of works in that being done. Yeah.
0: Was there ever a, I've been meaning to ask somebody this, was there ever a meatworks in Tenant?
2: Yeah, there was S- Surrey's Meatworks, which was south, south of town. That was. Is that
0: a, that, because there's some infrastructure, I think it's on the south side of town as you drive in and it looks like
2: a like big, a big, built, shed, a big and shed and there's yeah. some
0: yards behind it and it looks yep. like it would be a meatworks.
2: was probably the most modern meatworks in Australia in, in the early 80s, yeah. Really? Yeah, it was brand new, but, um, I think there was a lot of. Oh, I remember it going on strike a few, fair few times, and so I think the union movement had, had a. It was it was in the big power struggles in the early '80s with, with the, between the unions and the processors, and I I can't remember why it shut down, but um, I mean it was situ- situated in a, in a very good spot. You had the southern cattle and the northern cattle and and the Barclays and that.
0: And so up until your family left in '86, so so what was it '60. 63- 63 to 86, 86. so 23 years you were there. What what kind of cattle were you running?
2: Uh, We started off with short horns and um, there was one of the 60 head there and we actually bought short horns from Jinka, which is next door to what's here now. Um, And then we bought some Herefords from Neutral Junction and the year we we moved um, I found an old... Uh, neutral junction cow she was still alive still running around um, I, I can still remember going there with, with mum and dad to buy it buy them um, yeah that was a, probably the only time I'd ever been with them to, to buy cattle
0: Wow, and this was all pre-export as well. Like the live export industry wasn't established back then, was it?
2: Oh no, I mean Brahman cattle. What were they? No one heard about them.
0: Yeah, so and so that makes obviously more sense that why there was a meatworks in town. But where else did your cattle go? Like what? What was the? I think for for many of the younger generation, when we think of the territory and up north or anywhere in northern production, we think you know the cattle they're going to export. And then if you kind of down this part of the world, Central Australia or South Australia, we know they go down south, but it wasn't even until I did an episode a couple of weeks ago and spoke to someone and they're like, oh, yeah, and this was just before Live Export started and I was like, wait, what? And I kind of forgot that it just hasn't been around forever. Yeah.
2: Um, well, Live Export had been going on, um, like, on and off for, for a lot of years. I mean, the Hazers flew cattle out of out of Alice Springs in the – I'm not even sure what that was, but they, they loaded them onto planes in Alice and flew them to, to Asia. Wow. Not, well, I think it was Asia. Um, that was early on. Um, I think there might have been a few shipments there. Um, certainly there was cattle going overseas, but in, in, in small mobs. Was and- this
0: more as breeding stock then rather than for slaughter?
2: Oh, I, 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 really don't Couldn- know.
0: Gosh, Steve, yeah. why don't you have all the answers?
2: Oh, well, it wasn't that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then sort of there was a few drought masters and a few Santas, um, around the country, but the rest was, it was either Shorthorns or, 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 Herefords. And that was, um, like, going up Phillip Creek, we, we had Herefords. Bruntilly was Herefords. Banker Bank was Herefords. You had Shorthorns on Helen Springs, um, Shorthorns on Tennant Creek Station. Um, pr- pretty much Shorthorns were everywhere else. Uh, Herefords weren't too much north, I don't think. Um, and of course, then they had the Kimberley short ones, where well, they were famous. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: still are to this day.
2: Yeah. Um, believe it or not, we've got a little pocket of short ones here still after 30 years. Um, you yeah, can't get rid of them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, like, like Ugaronich was the only place that I can remember um, that had Brahmins. And everybody, would, you know, thought, well, what the hell have they got those things for? And, um, Oh, Jack Chambers, who was at, um, Renner Springs, he goes, Oh, you just wait till them bloody ticks find out that them Brahmins are, are cattle. He said, No, they still think they're horses.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> so they, so do you think the early adoption the the transition to Brahmins was because so, uh, so Brahmins are what we call boss indicus or they're boss indicus and then, um, you know, like your Herefords and your Shorthorns are Bos Taurus or the British breeds. So Bos and cattle, I tend to do better in, well, in more temperate and tropical climates. Um, like their, the physiology is designed to be able to handle heat and humidity better, but also their skin is what we call like tick resistant. Like it's yeah. a lot tougher than, than your British breeds. They're softer. So is that what spurred the initial transition, you think, for those people at Uchronage or was it sort yeah, of I, I think- preempting? the export trade
2: no it, it was a lot to do with tick because the tick line was on it was a banker Philip creek boundary in those days and then when the brahmins came in or, or the yeah they it, it gradually got pushed further and further north
0: interesting so, um
2: we actually um we were very worried it was getting down lower and lower we, we went to um brafford's uh bought a few brafford bulls and I think this the first and second crop of calves procured us of, uh, of them. Um,
0: <laughs> and so like Braffords are and cross Herefords.
2: So yeah. We yeah. sort of, everybody's used to just walk in, you know, you'd go to scruff, the, we'd scruff all the calves because, you know, that was the quickest and easiest way to do it in those days. And you'd walk in the, into a yard, grab a, grab a little calf by the tail and put, to pull him back to you. And, and, um, you know, if it was a Hereford, that was all right. You grab these, these Braffords <laughs> and you get past it from the ankles to the chin, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we did survive, but, yeah, Yeah. we we learnt pretty quickly. Some people are a bit slower than others, but
0: I suppose yeah. I should mention for anybody listening, if you're not, if if these words may not be triggering like uh, visuals. So Brahmins are, if you think of your typical like a, a grey cow with big ears, the big hump. I mean, there's also red ones as well, but if you just think of, you know, you see those cattle with the big humps and the big floppy ears, big saggy ups under their neck. And if you're thinking Hereford, and you're like, which one's a Hereford again? Well, we know Angus is the black cattle, but Hereford, just think McLeod's daughters. So red and white cattle, usually big white face. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the visuals. Uh, I just thought Macar's daughters would be a good reference point for a lot of people listening. If they're not, if they, you know, they might know what they look like. But it's like you know when you know a song, but you don't know what the song's called. Yeah. So someone goes, "Have you heard this song?" You're like, "I don't know." And then they play it. You're like, "Oh yeah, I know that." Um, so what triggered the the family to leave Mount, uh, not Mount Phillip, sorry, Phillip Creek in '86 and come to Mount Riddick?
2: Um, around that time. Uh, there's a lot of changes going on and then they were, they were talking about, um, toxic waste incinerators and all that. One was going to go at Tennant Creek and I suppose that this is what started us thinking. Um, and the fa- the favourite spot for it was the Warrigo smelter, which was, uh, 7k from, uh, or, the, or seven miles from Warrigo mine back towards Tennant Creek and the gas pipeline went straight past it within a few kilometres. And it already had the stacking out there, and that was being touted as as a best place for it, and that was in our best best country and that started us thinking, and we thought well, maybe we've had enough here um we'd like to go and perhaps find find a better place and and um we we weren't in a hurry and and it would, dad put it out there to the to uh well it was Dow, i think it was Dow Gettys in those days that we might be looking for another place, and if a good one came up um yeah, they let us know, and the manager of, of uh, Giddies came up and said, uh, "We've got a place, but you've um, you've got to be definite about it. Um, we can't tell anyone that it's it's coming up, and um, it's yes or no, and we'll go from there." And he said, "Well, how good a place is it?" And they said, "Pretty good."
0: Oh, so he, your dad didn't know the name of the place, he, or he
2: didn't? it didn't know until he said yes.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. that's a bit of a risk. Yeah. Wow.
2: No, it was. um You're gonna yeah. have a
0: lot of trust in your agent.
2: Well, yeah, we, we did. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they were. They were actually really good. They were. They were family friends, and that, yeah. and as so they we were in those days.
0: Did those plans that you were talking about the the development that was going to run through your station with the pipeline, and so did you say toxic waste? Incinerator? Incinerator? yeah. yeah that, that, was that, a,
2: that was a big thing back in the 80s. I was, yeah. I was doing all that sort of stuff. Did and,
0: that ever come to fruition?
2: No. <laughs> no. no. But it, it, it started us thinking and, and it was about that time for us to get out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what what would you say, how, Phillip Creek, as you left it to when you came to it, what were the changes? Obviously, that's a, that's a pretty big question, but just
2: From where we went there, there was, um, there was the support at Butcher's Hole, there was the support at the homestead. Um, yeah, you're really stretching the memory. <laughs> um, there was, we had, we had water holes, uh, that weren't permanent. Um, but pretty much only, I think there's only two bores.
0: Did you say it was just a tin shed and 60 it head of cattle? A it
2: was a line tin shed and 60 head of cattle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, then what did you sell it as?
2: Well, when we left, um, it was, we used to carry about six or 7,000 head of cattle. There was still potential for more. I mean, water was the biggest issue there. Um in eighty end of nineteen eighty one we bought a dozer and for the next five years I sunk something like thirty odd dams. Um and they they weren't small ones. Uh there was a few small ones in that, but most of them were big. Um I did one called Bishop's Dam. I wanted to call it Lake Steve, but I got <laughs> I got outvoted on that. And, and, uh,
0: Who who's on um Philip Creek today, do we know? Yeah.
2: Crete. Um
0: I don't know who's got it. Is it, oh. It's family owned?
2: Yeah, it's family owned. It's not the Kelly's. Warbies. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, the Warbies have it now.
0: Okay, so Warbies, if you're listening, so what was it? Bishop's,
2: Bishop's, yeah, Bishop's Dam, Dam is yeah.
0: actually Lake Steam. And if well, we could, I, I, I if we could get that. that changed on the map.
2: Yeah, well, that, yeah, not everybody else outvoted me, but yeah. we actually exploded a World War Two bomb in it.
0: Really? Yes, is, we were, where'd you find that?
2: Yeah. Um, it's a funny thing. I was I was doing all the foundations for the um for the for the dam wall, and yeah, he had to excavate down yeah a third of the depth of the wall, and I had that all dug out. And um a friend of mine was working for us, and he'd gone out, um, I think gone looking for donkeys, uh, shooting donkeys, and he would come back, and and uh, this was on a Sunday or a Monday or something, and and uh, it must be a Sunday. I was I was I was working on this dam, and so I virtually did seven days a week. 18 hours a day on it, trying to get it done before the wet. And um, he came back and I said, how'd you go? He goes, yeah, he said, I've got a jack donkey and a bomb. I said, what, a bomb? I, I thought, well, that didn't sound right, because I'd, I'd been on the bulldozer all day. He said, no, a bomb. Yeah, a boom, a bomb. I said, where is it? He goes, oh, I've seen the toolbox in the back of the toilet. I said, well, if you got a bomb, I said, you take it out of that toolbox, I'm going to stay over here. You get out of that toolbox and put it under that tree over there. And, um, yeah, he had a, it's like a 25 pound bomb that you drop out of an aircraft.
0: And, and, and that, it, and hadn't been, um, I'm not sure it was unexpl- the, what the word is, but yeah, it was unexploded.
2: Yeah, it, well, they call it UXB unexploded bomb. Wow. And, um, anyway, I, I got on the radio and I said, uh, I called up, you know, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon because dad always had a nap between, um, lunch and three thirty. And uh, I got mum on the radio and she said, what's up? And I said, um, could you ring the police for me, please? She goes, what for? I said, Max has found a bomb. She goes, what? I said, a bomb. She says, that's what I thought you said. And uh, anyway, I had to stay out there. It was about 6.30 at night and these police come out and he goes, police or a couple of coppers come out and they said, um, where's this bomb? I said, over underneath the tree. And he gets out the binoculars and he goes, yeah, it looks like one. So anyway, I had to stop everything. I wasn't allowed to do anything there. I had to sit and wait. And about four days later, the bomb squad from Darwin comes down and this, these two guys, uh, the police brought them out. These two guys step out, out of an Army um, vehicle and he said, where is it? I said, it's over there underneath that tree. And uh, they had got the binoculars out and had a look at it. and Yeah, it looks like one. They get up and all they get out, and this bloke gets on his stomach. And he crawls over there and he looks looks at it on this side, and he crawls to the other side and has a look for, look at it. And he gets his pad out and writes something on it, and he and sort of look keeps looking at it. Comes out and they get their book and they go through it, and he goes and he starts taking all his gear off. Ah, oh, she's right; she's only only a practice one, as much as we can make it out. And um, it had been dropped out of a, out of a um, out of an a- aircraft. Um he, he said, well, so what this stuff, it goes down, it's got a flash compound in it and, and it, it'll go and it'll put off a big flash and you'll see a puff of smoke and, you know, you see where how close you were to, you know, oh. to your target and whatever. He said the only downfall of this is uh, if you get that white powder on you that's got in it, it'll give you severe de- dermatitis. But 1941 she was uh, had marked on her. Wow,
0: and what year was this, do you think? Because this you was
2: 84. 84- Five? Wow! Yeah, I think it would have been yeah, November eighty-five. I think this would have been.
0: I think there was something, and I love it. Oh mate, gets on his stomach and he's out calling, You know, out there like everyone's looking up from binoculars. And what was it? Did you say the fellow's name was Max? Max. Yeah. Meanwhile, Max is just chucked it in the back of the ute and is bouncing along the station. Yeah, I said, it.
2: oh, you nearly run over it. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, you know the gap you, you come through where we, we walk, and we'd book cattle over this countless many times because there's a cattle pad there. When we used to muster, we'd walk the cattle all the way back to homestead through there and we'd walked over top of it plenty of times, probably been burnt. Uh, it was only I because the country had been freshly burnt and had a bit of growth on it that he found it.
0: I wonder what else is still out there. Well, he
2: said, he, he said, he missed it by about six inches with the dozer tracks. Yeah.
0: There, there's probably gosh, like if that lasted 40 years and then, you know, that's almost, you know, we're almost 40 years later now. So 80, but I'm sure there's probably still bits and bobs out oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. I reckon every ringer listening to this work on the Barclay will be going
2: out well, with a fresh set of eyes next time they go mustering now on a bore like- run. Well, the Mitchell bomber that's in the Darwin Museum yeah, with the tail blown off, Dad spent and a uh, local sergeant, in I, I still remember as a kid, they spent many a weekend out looking for that, and that was out west of Warrego. It landed on the West Australian Road.
0: Oh, wow. Um
2: And I'd got lost during, during the milk run, and, and they spent many a weekend out there, nearly burnt a brand-new Toyota looking for it. And, um, that never actually got to, to, to see it, but the policeman did find it eventually. And then it got taken up to Darwin and it was there for Cyclone Tracy and it never got destroyed. And it wasn't that many years ago. I was, was up there with Beck and I took the kids out. <clears throat> she was doing something with, when she was a teacher with the, with the school and took the kids out there, it was Gabby and Bridget out there, had a look around I rang Dad and I said, well, I sort of found that Mitchell bomber you were looking for. I said, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, I do reckon, I reckon so many people are going to listen to this and be yeah. like, all right, especially if anybody that's working on Phillip Creek is listening to this right now and they're like, hang on. What can we go like scavenging for? So what was there anything that made your family, you know, when you're looking to leave and, and find somewhere else, the decision to go south rather than further north?
2: Well, dad never want to go south of Tropic Capricorn. So just okay. tick that big box. Um, you
0: never wanted to go we didn't further want to go south. To... So where's okay? I know if you Tropic, give me a globe,
2: but Tropic just... of Capricorn's 16, the oh, it's is 20, 20 something kilometers. Uh, 25 K's or something north of Alice Springs. So it's only, yeah, it's, it's about six. Well, it goes through Amblindum just south of us here now.
0: Okay. So he never wanted to go south of there. Hmm. But so what about, did he ever think, oh, we might got Top End or VRD well, or? We did, we
2: did try, um, before we left, we, we approached Helen Springs, who was, which I think it was Vesties at that stage and, um, the guy that had brunchilli, we approached them, uh, before we left and they weren't for sable in the foreseeable future. And I think it was like six to 12 months later, they were both sold. So, um,
0: maybe they just didn't like you. Yeah.
2: Would have, would have loved Helen Springs. Would have, would have made a, yeah. Could have got my teeth into that. Would have been, good. uh,
0: Mrs. Reinhardt, if you're listening.
2: Uh, it's out of my league now. I don't want to do any more. I, yeah. Yeah. No,
0: I think you've got a pretty. As people are gonna, oh, they you know. Some people may already know, but other people will learn in this episode. You've got a pretty. I'm like, can I swear? Yeah, it's my own podcast. Of course, I can swear. You've got a pretty bloody nice flock here,
2: so. We think so too. Oh yeah,
0: it, it goes all right. So tell us about Mount Riddick and what you came into in the late eighties.
2: When we looked at Mount Riddick, it was in it was in August. Um, there'd been. Six inches of rain in beginning of July. Um, I know that because I did, it was, it was it covered the, it was pretty much the same rainfall from Tennant Creek, or it might have been a little bit north of Tennant Creek, to over the South Australian border. It was just a general rain. Band that came through and it, it up six inches. And I remember driving down to the Alice Springs show with the show cattle on and, and we got 16 miles just out of Alice Springs at the Tropic Capricorn there. And it was, oh,
0: um, I do see that sign on the highway. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm.
2: It, it would have been oh, a kilometre wide. Wow. And, um, I, um, uh, you had to drive the, the truck we had was brand new and I, it was, uh, the water was up to the top of the wheels when I went through that. So we came down here. The place was green.
0: It was a garden.
2: It was, yeah, it it was. And, um, you know, we, we come around the, and it was, it was like coming home. We, dad and I came down to have a look at the place and we come over, we hit the end of the bitumen, which was only a hundred K of it, which is a single seal. And we got to 14 mile and we, we fell off the end of, end of that and hit the dirt. And we go over these, all these hills and we drive along. I said, dad, Dad, I said, well, we just go around this corner here and there's a big open flat that goes, South of the ranges. I said, that's where the homestead is. And I'd never been out here, e- even though a great mate of mine, um, John Cleary, he- he'd grown up here and anyone that's up the top end with the live shipping would know, would probably know, um, John Cleary works on the boats, um, going out of Darwin. And, um, yeah, so we, we went through high school together and, and uh, kept in contact over the years. And, and there it was. There was a road into Mount Rick Homestead. And driving around, I was explaining to the manager at the time. Um, oh, this is such such. You um, go, well, I'd say, what's up here? He goes, oh, such such boy. So oh, that it's got two tanks, da da da, and the troughs out here, it was just like it. All, I'd seen it before, and we'd rock up, and he goes, how the hell do you know this? I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was. I, I, I was never ever lost. I always knew where everything was. If someone said, Oh, go over that dog leg in the fence over there. I, I knew where to go. It's
0: almost like deja vu. Like you'd been here in a past life.
2: Pretty much. Yeah. yeah That's it, pretty cool. It was just, it was like I said, it was like coming home.
0: And so we are right now is are we like 200 K's northeast of Alice as the crow flies.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, as, as the crow flies, it's probably only as close to hundred.
0: Hundred, yeah. So Six, you got
2: sixty nautical miles if you're flying from Alice for example.
0: Oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So about 100 k's northeast of Alice, but 200 by road. And so when you first got here, there'd been a lot of winter rainfall, and so the place was looking like a garden. Yeah. And and what was the development like here? What did you come to in terms of a homestead and you know fences and water points and cattle? You know, this was the 80s, so it's not quite you'd think the situation that your parents walked into in the
2: 60s. Well. There's a lot of new fencing done on here. There was, um, it was all paddocked up. Um, it was like we, we took B tech was, was happening. So there was a lot of money had to be spent for cattle control so they could, uh, and we had two areas that were, um, well, we used to call them dirty. Um, the west side had, it had a TB roll, uh, rollover with TB cattle. So it was classed as dirty. Um, the entire valley, it was classed as dirty because um, there was TB next door on Ambalindum in those days, and um, sort of we had to test twice a year.
0: And so this is so for people- This
2: was TB and brucellosis testing.
0: Yes. Yeah, so BTEC, yeah. does that, so is that brucellosis, tuberculosis, be, eradication?
2: It, eradication, yeah.
0: I don't know what C stands for, but probably should have Googled that. But yeah, so brucellosis and tuberculosis, yeah, that was pretty big in the 80s, so- mm. Some of the areas. So, did you have any dirty areas on Philip Creek?
2: No, no. So you
0: kind of come from all well, clean. We, we
2: tested every year there because the Barclay, because we were classing the Barclays and they were testing. Yeah. And then it, this was in the final pushes to to get clean. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, we we uh, uh every every was it every Tuesday. Every Tuesday we had two helicopters booked. Uh, to do a paddock so you'd, you'd sort of and it was all portable yards in those days so we uh, we had 300 portable panels we used to pick to pick up and put down Um <laughs> that yeah. is brutal oh we had a tractor to load we had we had racks on, on a on a 40 foot trailer we used to put 300
0: them 300 portable panels yeah yeah no that's not okay
2: <laughs> oh we were young and fit and energetic yeah it was, it was uh it was three of us but used to do it
0: wow um,
2: Yeah, no, it, it, it it was, it was no drama. We never whinged. People only winced in the later years when they got, everybody got soft. I was the only stupid
0: bugger. Yeah, you're looking at me right now, Stephen. I've got my hand (laughs)
2: up. I was the only stupid bugger that did it. I was one I was the only constant there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So you, you come in, it looks like a garden, but you've got some, you've got some sort of new infrastructure. Uh, but then you, you kind of got a little bit of the TB. Brucellosis problems that you've got to clean up, and that's what yeah. some of that, that that fencing infrastructure was for was yeah. to separate you know what we classify as your clean and your dirty cattle, yeah. so um, so that at least that way it's not spreading throughout your herd more. Um What Mount Riddick today is, I, I assume, obviously it's been developed a lot more since then, and it is really a very well, I don't know if I would say like unique, not not in the sense people may think, but When we, for pretty much everything we've ever had on our website, centralstation.net.au, and most of the people that we've, like, you know, 90% of the people we've had on the podcast, it's all a very northern production system that's very much geared towards live export. Um, and it's, it wasn't until I came down to Alice late last year that I kind of started learning about you know, because down south in central Australia, it's always been a bit of a question mark for like, for at least on our website, like we were, cause, you know because t- in the beginning for the first few years, we were so focused on e- the export production system. I was like, what are people even doing down here? Yeah. And it is, um, and I think it's even, to be honest, evident in, you know, we have like, you know, the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association or the conference, or when people talk about the Northern Territory, all you see are pictures of of Brahmins and export. And I don't think the Southern production it, it's system. It's
2: all on all live export. Yeah, it's yeah. Pretty
0: much all live export, all Brahmin yeah. or, all, you know, Boss Indicus, you know, it's all geared towards that way. No one's ever really even talking about the southern production system. I, I, I think system.
2: We, we're a bit like BP, the Silent Achiever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this
0: end, but, um, Is BP a Silent Achiever?
2: Well, that's how they used to you know, oh, ad- really? advertise themselves. There. Oh, okay. Don't show me age there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, when we came here, there was a lot of issues Um. Like there was, after uh, we sort of, where do I start? We came off the seventies with, with a lot of rain. Um, there was low beef prices. Um, there's probably only one round of mustering if that done a year. Um, there was thousands of bulls in the, in the hills. Um, I, I look at some of the way and that, you know, there was, um, three to five thousand, there was five thousand bulls one year. And I'm talking about adult bulls went off this place and then, uh, Harkata was also on with, with this, joined to this place at that time. And there was 3000 off that. Um, that, that was just one, one year.
0: That is one massive bachelor pad.
2: Yeah. And there was many years like that, um, before, like, um, you're coming off years with of 50 inches. Um, you know, there was, there was between 30 and 50 inches a year they were having here with the, with the, with the 70s and that it was a, you know, the creeks didn't stop. Um, the grass just kept growing and then it started to slow down a bit. So there was a – you're getting into a lot of um, degradation. Um, you know, the grass was going and, and whatever. So there was a lot of ferals here. There was like in those hills in the ranges behind us, there was, there was thousands of horses there. Um, then there was a huge rabbit population. Um, after we got rid of the horses, we had to get rid of the rabbits because the cattle wouldn't go – Sort of half the west side, the cattle wouldn't run because the rabbits had it stank out so much. So we spent, um, I mean, we, we, we were young and whatever. So we, we'd, we'd go ahead and probably shoot three nights a week to three o'clock in the morning. Uh, we'd go ahead of the dozer that was, was ripping rabbit warrens and, and we'd shoot out areas. And then we'd come along and, uh, behind after the we'd been through and map, mop, try and mop up as many loose rabbits as we could. And, um, that was around the time CLMA, like Landcare, came in. Um, so, you yeah, know, that, that was a, another big milestone that we had. So pretty much before Khaleesi came in, we had our rabbits pretty much eradicated down down to a, probably you know, a few thousand left. Then the, the, the horses, well, I know it's a bit of a controversy with people these days, but you, you can't... You can't have ferals running around. I mean, it's in our charter on on, uh, on stations that you have to control your ferals. And- well,
0: everything. I mean, if things are left to just to their own devices, and particularly, you know, if they're not a native animal, they're just going to keep. It's like um, just breeding and breeding, and and there is degradation that comes with that. And and even if they're left, you know, people say, "Oh, they're in the wild, just leave them to their own devices," but it can really blow back and have negative consequences well, on them.
2: If if you want to think about where we run 400 head of cattle, I mean adult cattle, uh, 400 breeders, there was 3,000 horses plus the cattle.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's not enough. I mean, not enough yeah. feed for not even enough, if you just run one. Not, not, one, not, one, not just enough water. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where, I mean, you've got to think, I, I think when it comes to controlling feral animals that it's not just, you know, oh, we're trying to get rid of them so we can use the land for what we want, but also – 3,000 horses again like they've got no you know it's not like they've got breeding programs it is breeding non-stop kind of like rabbits and um and then you know you have a turn of the season and the next minute you've got animals starving or perishing and then that's when some people say oh we can come in and and put them out of their misery then but we're trying to avoid getting to such unsustainable numbers i suppose.
2: Well we we mustered what we could and and um it was yeah it was damaging to every to man and beast. Um, the country really wasn't, Yeah, you, know, you could do it with helicopters, but it was, um, yeah, I mean, it was in its infancy in those days. Um, you know, you get them up, you couldn't sort of put all the mobs together because you had different mobs and different bucks and, you know, they're trying to keep their mobs separate. And then when you get them together, all the, all the stallions start fighting. Yeah. And, that's a yeah, good yeah.
0: point. Do you have any horses on the place? Well, I know you've got horses on the place now. We'll get to that later too, but do you have any feral horses on the place now?
2: We have a few that roam between, and I, and I mean a few, uh, roam between here in the garden and Amblyndam and uh, Alarchi, and But... Um, Not enough
0: to be of a problem?
2: You, you can do two two rounds of musting and, and maybe see one, and then the next time you go out there you might see 20. Oh, so, yeah. Um,
0: are they pretty or are they like scungy little like... No,
2: they're pretty, pretty ugly. <laughs>
0: Because sometimes, sometimes you're like, you see rumbies and they're, like, amazing. And a lot of the places I've been when I've seen them, they're, like, stunted growth, like, little, like, inbred, runty, like, not pretty things.
2: Well, the ones we went through and eradicated and we and what we trucked in early ages, early days, I mean, pretty good horses because apparently the webs used to buy a stallion and, and every now and again and let it loose, like a, a well-bred stallion. Um, and there was... It was unbelievable. I, I can remember going through and he got all these real good-looking horses Then we got right out to the west side and I can still remember saying to my cousin he, was, he had his own mustering business in those days. And I said, you "Now we were we just going along shooting them and, and um, doing one of our big culls." and I said to David, I said, um, this is a, only a little bit of lead. I said, look at the size of these horses. They were Clydesdale perch and crosses. Wow. They were huge feathery legged horses. And, and it's like, <laughs> I'm going to chuck this little bullet at it. You know, it, um, yeah, they were massive. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I wish I could have seen them. Mm. Love it. Like heavy boned oh, feathery that, horse. Yeah, they like- were massive. Well, I guess that kind of reminds me of, I guess that makes sense. They probably would have used them back in the day for bronco branding, like the horses of that breeding. That's yeah. kind of like what we see at the bronco branding these yep. days. Yep. Yeah.
2: I remember when we were trucking one lot at Saltbush, um, this big buck jumped jumped the portable yards and he got his back leg stuck between the first and second rail. And I raced over the tyre to get get the gun because he was going to break his leg and he's just leaned down and he's bent the top rail down and the bottom rail up, and he just kept pulling his leg till he pulled it out. Dad's going, Shoot him, shoot him. And I said, Nah, he never broke his leg, and he never limped as he cantered off out the flat. And he said, Why didn't you shoot him? I said, Well, he, he got away with He didn't break his leg, so he can go. Yeah, good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah, he was, um, and that panel is still out there today.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, you're going to have to we, go see it.
2: We never bought it back.
0: Wow! I will have to go take a picture. But of there's it. A,
2: like there's a definite hoop where the bottom rail and the bo- and the top rail yeah uh, have passed each other, and he's just gradually bent it down. And and you got to remember these these were these had catches on the top of the panel. So, but he's actually bent them in, um, and uh, as well as the rails. And it, it was a it was a huge feat. I thought yeah. he never broke the skin or anything like that. I thought no, nah, he's right. He's already. earned his freedom. Yeah.
0: Good for him. Yeah. So, Mount Riddick in those early days, uh, so as we we're just getting back to, you had a bit of infrastructure, um, and you said you'd come in, purchased it just after there'd been a pretty decent rainfall, so it was looking pretty schmick. Yeah. Was that accurate to the condition of the land? You know, I mean, I suppose that's what I'm trying to get to. Like, what was it that you came into? Was it a garden that stayed a garden, or did you-
2: No, no. Well, we because we, we had we had certain areas like we had the west side and the northern side which was uh, infested with rabbits. Um, so there was two areas that were not very productive, and then we had not a lot of grass. We had a lot, a lot of rubbish growing, and is, is that sort
0: of like um, shrubs and yeah. stuff? You mean and trees and
2: yeah, there were, yeah, or not non-palatable? Oh, we, 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 we classed as rubbish in those days, but I mean it was kerosene grass and, and cowrop. Which so is just like the three corner jack. Um, so these are um, for well, people it, it, that may not have it, come across them. It's a it's a legume. It, it's a burr, Um So it's not really it's just palatable. That that oh, we fatten a thousand sound of bullocks on it one year. Okay, um, and, uh, but
0: but it's not your preferred feed then. Oh, so no, it's still. No. I mean, no. if you are desperate, you'd make yeah. do with it, but it's not what you'd um, really prefer.
2: You you've been down to the races at Heart's Range. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah uh, yeah. So yeah guys as you drive past the tower on, on, on your on the northern side of the road and you come out and, in the more open country just think of that as dirt
0: wow
2: and that's what it was you, you had this light grass and cowtrop growing on there and it was just dirt so when you're when you're dead golf we had a nine-hole golf course at the front of the police station We used to play golf so when you're uh,
0: you're when you're parents are speaking to the agent and they're like he's like yeah, i can't tell you where it is you just gotta say yes or no and your dad's like well is it a good place and your agent's like yes do you think the agent maybe he just didn't think it was a good place right now he was thinking of the potential of the place because well, i mean it's it, it is an extraordinary block today but it's not sounding pretty flash back then well it
2: had a, had a huge reputation
0: for yeah. for what it had been in for, the past, for, yeah. Or? For what it
2: had been in the past. Okay. So we, we we bought on reputation. Yeah. But eighteen months into it, we thought, what the hell are we got into?
0: We've got we, rabbits. We've got horses. We've got bare dirt. Well, we've
2: got birds. Yeah. I mean, you, you, with the rabbits, you, you drive out the west side and you go, oh, what's that? And it was the smell of rabbits. Really? The river, the, the creeks had run out there, and you and you go out and have a look after after the rain had been, and there'd be three meters of rabbit turds. At the high water mark, each side.
0: That's so funny. I've never thought about, when I think about rabbits being a problem, I think it's, you know, like barring the ground or whatever and eating feed, not like the smell of them or their abundance of poop. Well, you've
2: seen a brow line where cattle have chewed the vegetation. Yeah. Well, the rabbits had that. You get down (laughs) low enough, you can see a brow line where the rabbits have been standing up eating the leaves off the trees and that.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So Mount Riddick back then- Fairly different to what it is today in terms of infrastructure, land condition, cattle. What were the first steps that you took in that transition? And, you know, like we said, it's been a 34, 34 years you guys have been here now. So it's been like 34 years and still going, but that it's been a talking earlier. We're talking about the rapid rate of change in this industry in just the time you've been alive and how the industry is, uh, Evolved, but there's also been a rapid rate of change on Mount Riddick from because what it is today is very different to what you guys came to. So, I says what were the, the initial steps in kind of sparing that change?
2: Well, like, like I said before, a lot of the paddocks were, they didn't have much in them. There, there was stuff growing there, but it wasn't um, what were led to bleed were here, like grass wise. So, where we could, we destock paddocks and we gave them a 12-month spell, and we, we rotated that round for, for many years. Um, some paddocks had more than one uh, one year, um, like they had multiple times that I, I spelled. So we'd we put the um, – uh, we, we'd destock it uh, for 12 months, give it a, uh, hopefully two growing periods. Then we'd restock it and let the cattle, you know, herd impact, bury all the seed – um, sometimes we leave, it would be 12 months and then we pull them out again and, and, um, and, and let it give it a chance to grow and seed. Um, one particular, particular, paddock, stones paddock, I think, uh, the last time we destocked that was about eight years ago. And that was the last time because it just, um, after that time, it just exploded. And we've gone from, uh, yeah, we've pretty much trebled the carrying capacity of most paddocks. In that time.
0: For anyone listening who's really into this side of things and really wants to know more, we will be recording a separate episode with, um, Stephen Beck where we really kind of get into all the things they've done, all the interventions, all the regenerative stuff, um, everything they've done, just like in a really nerdy sense. We're just going to keep this episode a bit more like broad, um, like broad strokes, but, but just then, um, I've got to ask you, you said you de-stop for 12 months. So, it could have like two growing seasons are you are you meaning like summer and winter rainfall is that what you're no, talking we, about no
2: we then? we pretty much destock them um uh, before the before the wet mm-hmm. like uh, around about november we would pull everything out and then we'd go and uh, probably the we'd go november through the next year and then the following march we would we'd
0: restock. Oh okay so yeah. about not quite 18 months, but two wet seasons. Yeah. You'd give them two wet seasons. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Okay.
2: So the one, one, paddock in particular, it was five years before we, we, we didn't know what we we're going to do with Table Hill. Um, we, we put a lot of ponding banks up there and done a lot of, uh, uh well, well, pitting or opposed disc, um, to try and plant and, and, uh, yeah, we, we planted buffalo didn't really take. Um, it was yeah, a different country. Um, so the sandier country, the buffalo took, but we, we didn't really spread a lot of buffalo in, in early, early days. And probably most of the bufflets here has just been its own uh, regeneration. It, it's gradually spread, um, and, and taken off. We well, got to a certain stage where it just exploded.
0: How, how many cattle were here when you bought the place?
2: Uh, oh. I really don't. That was quite hazy because when, when I, I actually missed out on on the first season of mastering here, because um, prior to us coming here, I had a I used to like motorbikes. So I, I came here with a busted femur, so I I was sort of
0: housebound
2: on crutches for. No, I wasn't housebound, but I certainly wasn't out there doing doing mm-hmm. much. Um, I was on crutches for nearly eight months. Yeah, I did a, if you're going to do a job, you do it properly. Yeah, so, well, I'm weird. just.
0: I'm just thinking stories of destocking aren't, and like voluntary destocking aren't, I suppose, all that common sometimes. And so I'm, I'm just wondering the, you know, especially when this is a family-owned place, um, you're playing with your own money, not someone else's, and you haven't got someone else calling the shots. So to, for you and your parents, or particularly your parents to make that decision to destock certain areas, you know, I do see this a lot – well, not a lot, but I have seen this um even when I worked in, in government or just talking to other people that, you know, you could destock and run a smaller number and kind of get your landscape better. But there's a lot of people that are like, well, if it can run this many, I'm going to keep running this. Even if it's going to keep the land condition, you know, declining slowly or whatever. Like there's, there's a lot of people that I suppose what I'm getting to is that wouldn't make that decision. They would have just kept – Making do with what they had. So I'm just wondering, like, that seems like a pretty, um, so it's in a way like brave decision and a forward thinking, but you know, like a, or
2: an uncommon decision. Yeah. I, I suppose it was pretty brave in those days because, you know, we, uh, interest rates aren't what they are today. Yeah. Um, like we, we, we bought, there was, we had to when we bought it. Um, we still owed probably half of, of, of what we, um, yeah, you know, of the value of the places, and it was twenty four percent interest in those dollars.
0: <laughs> what?
2: Yeah, twenty four
0: percent interest yeah. rate,
2: and 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 a big bullock. He was making about five hundred dollars. Like, twenty four percent. You you're lucky to get sixty thousand dollars for a six deck load of, of bullocks. Um. Wow. Yeah, it, 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 it was. When you think about there, then, and now. Um, it's just chalk and cheese.
0: Holy hot box. And so, yeah. So, I mean, to think you've got, oh, I just can't get over that 24%. But again, you've got, Hey, let's say I'm just well, going to,
2: what it was, if it wasn't 24%, it was Oh, yeah, something towards, ridiculous yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: So, I, I mean, I'm just going to make these figures up, but for example, like say you guys could have run 10,000 head, let's just say. Yeah. But your parents chose to destock and run perhaps, I don't know, what five or six, you know, I don't know if they have, how much they destocked, but to, to run anything less than what you on, you know, could have or what paper says you could have or what you could get away with, I suppose. Like that's essentially saying, Oh, you know, we could make this much, but we're not going to, we're going to make less, but with this long-term vision in mind of, you know, I suppose the idea, the the reality is you could have run that 10,000. On and on, and but today you wouldn't be able to run those numbers well, if you kept going down that route. I, I
2: think what what was what was our saving grace was we had two places.
0: Oh, okay. We had
2: Mount Riddick and we had Hakata.
0: So when did you get Hakata? Uh,
2: was we, that- it, it, no, it? came. Oh, as it, a package. It, it came as oh, a package. Oh, okay. So yeah. We made the decision after twelve months that, um, and we were approached by our next door neighbour to to sell. Um, so we did, and that pretty much put us on the map. Like uh, we end up. We, we didn't know anything. Uh, Gave us a little bit of money to, to do what we wanted yep. to do. Um, that was lucky. So, that was yeah, good choice. Away we went.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. But even then, I mean, I'm sure there would be enough people, you know, um, say you get a place and you're debt free. And again, you could run, let's say 10,000 head, but you choose to be conservative and run five, six, seven, eight, whatever. There's still a lot of people that wouldn't choose that conservative well, route because look at it
2: on the other side. If you don't do it, you'll eventually go broke because your running costs—they haven't changed. Um, you know, it's, it's probably got it probably cost you more to run a place now than it did back then. Um, we, we're lucky; we, we've imp- implemented a lot of other changes that's cut our running costs. And you know, you're always told you, know, you cut your running costs, um, and I always think we've. You know, we've cut these running costs. How much more can we do? But you keep, you keep finding areas where you can make huge savings. But we will get to a stage where we won't be able to cut them much more. That, um, yeah, no, you, you find ways and, and away you go
0: yeah no I just i I guess I've just seen firsthand a few examples where that's not the mindset so I'm always like curious as to as to what makes someone go one way or the other you know
2: well and, and the other side with our with our cattle we decided that we would sell quality not quantity um, so one one of ours was you know what we've got to what we've got net you know, well if, if you put it this way the what we get now for one beast. Um, it, it's worth twice as much as what we had when we started.
1: So, yeah, it's uh, a very tidy if, if
2: you compare uh, horses courses. Um, yeah, it, it's that's how 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 it's gone.
0: I don't know quite how to um, describe or talk about this without sounding like a major suck off. So, I'm like anything I say, people are gonna be like, "Oh my god, they're just, just blowing," you know, air up their ass. Um, Excuse my French now, but the the herd here is very tidy. And because so to me, the equivalent of like fossil downs in the Kimberley, mm. uh, I mean, I've only been in the yards there once, but and then seen pictures that Stacey posts, but they seem to have a very tidy herd or at least in the pictures, but you know, very consistent, very tidy. I mean, also granted, you've had 30 years here, so a lot of time to do that. But again, like, yeah, I don't know how to. I might just even just leave that bit out. I just sound like a massive suck up. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't be like, oh, my God, she's staying there with them and she's just, like, sucking up and making it sound like, anyway, silly. Well,
2: if you want to talk about cattle, yeah, um, the way I look at it, um, I like to walk in, into a set of cattle yards and never look behind me because you get to think about different things and, and you forget. Um, well, I, I, I do. I, my, I start thinking, oh, well, I might do this, I might do that, and... You forget you might have a clean skin bull sitting behind you. Then all of a sudden, someone would go yell out and go, "Oh shit, that bastard's in here!" And and you're going for a rail or or you're looking to try and dodge or something like that. And I'm not the smartest man on my feet when when something's charging me. So um, yeah, I, I, I took the, um, uh, the the bull by the horns, you might say, and thought, well, anything that I don't like, anything that's got its head up in the air when we're mastering, and, and it. it really became evidence what once I started flying my own helicopter and you're flying around and you go, that cow's got to go because it's and, – and you get to know it really well because you're forever putting them back in the mob or back with it because they're always out in the lead somewhere. So you get to know them really well. She's got awareness. She's gone. Uh, anything gets in the yard and if it starts bouncing off rails, it's gone. Truck leaves every Monday. Be on it. Um and yeah, we, 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 got everything right, yeah, back to where we are today. And I think this year at, the, at our draft, it was, it was probably the most, um, it was the best feeling I ever had seeing, seeing my wieners and they behaved. I, I thought rather well. They were, they were nice and soft and, and did everything. And I didn't make me feel ashamed or anything of them. And I mean, all the cattle were good from all the donors, but I mean, uh, being biased of my own cattle, of course, but I was quite happy with them. And, and, um, so we'd just come out of a very large dry spell. And, uh, we also made the decision that, you know, we'd only sort of a, a major drought had broken with four inches of rain. I, I said, Dabra, who's, um, well, he came here as head stopped and I think he might be more of a manager now. But anyway, he's, um, he's, he's right up there. He, he's, he's another me. He, um, I said, well, let's just go through and just take everything out we don't like. And, um, if, if I miss it, you get it. So we did. We went through and, and, and we, we, trucked a thousand cows and, and, uh, you know, we, we couldn't afford it, but we did. Um, and I think we we're paying, we, we're, we're uh, reaping the wards now because, um, the cow herds back where we really want it. And uh, it's only going forward from here.
0: I can't wait to get into this second episode with you and Beck and really like get into the nitty-gritty of the management decisions that you guys have made over the last 30 years or 30-odd years because uh, I think that's going to be incredibly valuable for people who want to learn more about this stuff or just, you know, want a sticky beak um, to hear. But I suppose coming back to this more broad stroke, so you you were quite – you had a lot of work to do in terms of – um eradicating your feral rabbits and your horses um then and and also getting rid of the tb problem or kind of working through that process with most of the country at that point um then there was the process of spelling country resting it trying to you know get the landscape in better condition uh you've also had this very unique i love this philosophy of uh, I want to be able to walk through a set of cattle yards and not have to remember to look behind me in terms of when you're selecting your cattle who gets to stay and, and who also gets to go. In,
2: in dad's later years too, he, he used to like coming out the yard. So I, I didn't want to have to, um, race out there and, and, and you know, pull something off him that, that knocked him down or something like that. So yeah,
0: well, yeah. ain't nobody got time for that. Like,
2: no, no. And, and you want to, you want to work in the yards and, and have it be, you know, be pleasurable. Well, I,
0: I, it always kind of makes me wonder when you see really ill behaved cattle or ill temperamented cattle that, um, don't get culled. I remember one time there's one cow and, and it's, you know, different things affect different animals, but ended up having to use a Toyota and then some dogs and oh, it's just this. That. And they put her back out in the paddock. And I was like, we were trucking cattle that day. I was like, would that not be a cull? Like, not only. Any, anyway, that's uh, I may be sharing that story out of context or out of school, it's, but. There's been a
2: lot of good cattlemen said you must use a gun when you're culling your herd sometimes.
0: Yes. Oh, um, I have somebody else I was talking at one point said, um, sometimes, I mean, again, different circumstances, different decisions, but some people have been known to go out and just like shoot their scrub bulls if they'd to, if, you know, if they're unable to catch them. And, you know, and some people might say, Oh my God, well, you're losing a thousand dollars there. Well, you also, you know, but some people for them, they don't mind that thousand dollars because they're losing all the. They they're not take, getting the shitty calves that they're they wanting. going
2: to. Might take get. five thousand dollars with it when they when they break away too.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So yeah, we'll definitely get into the nitty gritty in that episode with you and Bert. So everyone, keep your ears peeled for when that comes out. Um, what are the other things that you've done uh, on Mount Riddick to kind of that's I suppose a little bit different. Um, I oh, I think one thing I w- I'm really interested to hear your perspective on is your rotational grazing system so when I did the resource consulting services grazing for profit school often when people talk about cell grazing or rotational grazing you know there's many different grazing strategies out there we think of it on a farm scale you know a couple of thousand acres and then maybe you know in Queensland there's some bigger blocks people might be running 20 30 40 50 thousand acres. But I always – this is when I was working in the Pilbara and Kimberley and really struggled to try and see how you can apply that to something significantly larger. And I remember asking them, like, yeah, okay, cool, this works on, like, someone's five 5,000-acre 5, farm or 500-acre farm or 50,000-acre farm, but how do you put it on half a million acres? Like, how do you do that? And yours is one of the only places I've seen that actually does some form of – I don't know if you call it – if it's rotational or sell yeah, or
2: – Yeah, we call it rotational. Basically. Yeah, because,
0: yeah. again, some people get – a bit, you know, sometimes rotational, well, is different to sell, is different to, I don't know, there's a few different words and they're all, they have their nuances, but talk us through your decision to get to that, I suppose, and then how
2: it works. Um, it all, all come about, um, it was something I, I did grazing for profit. Um, and, and I, th- I think if anybody ever gets a chance that, and that hasn't done it, they should do it. Um, I went in there thinking, that oh, it's just another bloody course, you know. And it was three days. I've got three days to spare. And everybody says you should go, go to it. And, and um, it's a bit, uh, it was about that time that someone had put out one of those little jokes that says, you know, um, I'm out doing another two day course and I'm, I'm slowly going broke, but me, you know, my banker wants to be here. I should be home doing this and that. And, and, uh, but you know, it's going to look good, but I'm going broke because of these, another uh, bloody two day course. But that's, that's how I was feeling. Anyway, we get halfway through it and I'm, I'm starting to think, and it's not just about grazing, it's about life in general.
0: It's so and, good. And,
2: um, yeah, and it's paradigms. I always remember paradigms. Yes. It's just, a, it's another paradigm. And, and anyway, I, I come out of it thinking, and be- Beck said, what'd you learn? I said, oh, well, I pretty much think family should, should be a big part of it. Um, and, and which is something I'm not doing, which it was, was, a major shift for me because, yeah, I was, I suppose I've been free for so long before I got married. Um, I was actually struggling to, um, on the relationship side of it. And it made me stop and think there. And then I went on to, I had an issue with the scrub we had and we had a lot of, um, witchity bush scrub. And I remember the, the course, um, instructor saying, well, what's this, what's this, what sort of scrub? You know, what benefit has it gotten us all? Cattle, eat it. He goes, well, where's your problem? I said, but I can't see the cattle in a mustard. I'd like to get rid of it. And uh, he goes, but your cattle eat it. It's a haystack. Get over it. And by the time I come out of that, I had a different slant on scrub. So then I thought, well, okay, I've got to do something that's different to be able to manage my cattle better. So, you know, we, we, we went, down. Oh, that's, that's another story, but... Um, yeah, it, it just changed everything. So then I got into rotational, thought about rotational grazing and I, I could see it, see it. Um, dad didn't, dad was, you well, he was very against it to start with. And, and, um, about that time through with CLMA, there was a, they got a grant to do a grazing strategies, um, yeah, they got, they got a big pool of money to do it. And there was three grazing strategies we put in for it to do, to do this and we, we lost out. And, um, anyway, I can't remember the guy that was, he, he rang up, he got Beck, which is probably the best thing. Um, and he, he said, I want to come out and have a look. What do you want to do? So Beck took him down one of the laneways where we, uh, we used to run, the, bring the cattle in and out of the yard. She, she said, well, this is what, We, we flog this down every year and it bounces back. So this is what we, we think we can do in the rotational grazing. He said, well, yeah, that will happen. And, and cause, and we said it's all buffle where, where we want to do it. Um, and we have a huge fire risk down there. We want to chew it down to get it, get it down to a manageable level. So we're not going to have the fire in summer. And he said, yep, you've got my tick. I think you should go ahead with it and uh we got the approval and we, we got the grant um there was a lot of a bit of opposition about it cuz you know the you know the matter it was getting um we we're getting a fair bit of exposure in those days and and uh, so you know getting more inf- infrastructure paid for but we put sort of uh compared we got a little bit of grant money but we put five times as much as that back into it to get it up and running and um it it paid for itself hand- handsomely um what happened was we went from uh, buffalo grass plant every um, like every meter or uh, you know, three quarters of a meter to one every two hundred mils. We we didn't reduce our fire risk; we increased it. Um, so we ended up with 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 more grass. Um, yeah, so it, it just
0: the, the population density just yeah, exploded. But but really. we
2: also in amongst that we had natives. So you've well. had
0: other grasses come yeah. back.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: it's just it's it's honestly it's so incredible. And again, yeah. in this other episode, we'll really dig into it. But yeah. so, how many paddocks do you? Because it's not the whole station that you rotation no, graze, no, no. Do it so, really depends on the type of country to how you can yeah. use it. Is that right? Or
2: well, where we did the rotation, which is on the uh, eastern boundary, um, it was a, it was an area that wouldn't carry fifty head. Um. We were in, when we, uh, when we finished it and in its heyday, and you've got to remember now, we haven't had a significant rainfall. Uh, it's actually missed out that country for the last five years. So it's, it's gradually gone backwards. Um, but we're only one, one rainfall away from being back where we should be. Um, we yeah. haven't put cattle back in it this year. It's sort of having a, having a bit of a rest, uh, trying to get a seed bank back into it. But we were putting 700 head a year through it. So each paddock has, has a 90-day rest period. So it takes um, – we had 700 head in, it, in each paddock, which is a four-square-k paddock, a month at a time. And we'd pull them out, and you still couldn't see where that'd been. Wow. Yeah. So we, we actually got two, two bites of the cherry um, in, in, the, in the good years. And, um, yeah, we were putting a lot of weight on.
0: Have you gone back and done the grazing for profit since that first time?
2: No, I, I wouldn't mind doing it again.
0: Has Beck done it? Beck's done it. Yeah. yeah. I think you guys, because I only did mine in 2018, and you were just saying when you did it, it was three days. I actually, it was seven when I did mine. I'm it, pretty mi- sure it, was seven. It, it
1: might have been more.
0: I think they go fi- like either five. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they're like seven days now. It is, and again, for anyone listening, like life changing, like just, you know, you cover, nutrition uh, sort of like land condition, uh, finance like business um, yeah like broader and but it's all. Well, yeah exactly and that's what's missing from a lot of these courses and and I, I suppose that kind of leads me to I feel like obviously the way you spoke about it just then it certainly had an impact on your mindset like you said paradigms and something that when I did an episode with your wife Beck, um, sort of the idea of her like the theme of her episode was this decision that as you guys were growing your business and you guys had um another lease block and there was a bit more country and you had a helicopter business and then you made the decision to kind of scale back and and today you I say just got Mount Riddick but you know it's not that but you've just got Mount Riddick so uh, coming off this talk of um you know, family and priorities and the paradigm shift that came out of Grazing for Profit, how does that intertwine? I'd like to get your perspective on, I suppose, the decision that you and Beck made to downsize and to kind of rather than continue to grow your business and, and whether it be the pastoral side or the helicopter business and, you know, as so many others do, try and build an empire, you really have scaled back.
2: Well, in, in the early days I, I envisioned myself having Yeah, five or six stations and sort of being a cattle baron. Um, I, I suppose staff cured me of that. Um, you would just, uh, you would just get everything going really smoothly and you'd you'd come back to spend a bit of time, um, with your family. And then, uh, yeah, it'd, it'd hit the fan, if, if you know what I mean. And, um, you'd have to go and, um, they'd have trouble with a bore, or, or yeah, that something that something they couldn't fix, and you'd have to go and give them a hand. And sometimes you'd only just get back, and you'd have to go again. And in the early days, we're driving backwards and forwards, and you know, either, either over to Queensland or up to Tipper. And, and um, in later years, I was a bit lucky. Once we once we got our own helicopter, um, it was it was an hour and a half instead of six hours. You know, it was great, but I still wasn't home. Um, the home place was going backwards and everybody else was going forward and we weren't. So it, it really wasn't a hard decision.
0: Yeah. I spent a whole episode, like, deconstructing this with Beck and you've just, like, given me the 30-second explanation, Steve. I'm going to need more.
2: Well, think, I, 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 guess, thought, I thought Beck had done such a good job and it's no good me wrecking what she said. Yeah, true, <laughs> true.
0: I suppose, um, we should come back to you a little bit. How long was this after you'd done grazing for profit? I'm, I'm curious oh, to just.
2: 10 years. Okay. Yeah. I'm just
0: curious to also kind of dig in a bit about your experience with grazing for profit and, and you know, the idea of paradigms and what you've taken away from that and what you still use today.
2: I, I, I think it just, it gave you a, it makes you, look, makes you look at things differently. Um, there's a lot of things are done the hard way when they could be done easy. Um, we don't – I made the decision not to work during the night except when I'm driving a truck. So we leave in the daylight, um, either just before the sun comes up. I, I don't get up at four in the morning. Um, you know, dark time for sleeping, if you ask me. Um, and I definitely – don't like coming home in the dark. Um, most of our, even, even when we're mustering, most of our days can be done in daylight hours. And that's traveling too. we don't have a stock camp anymore. Um, it's all done, all done from home. Um, it's not a, um, I've actually, the last time we, must, uh, we did a round, I, I came out of fresher than when I went into it. But that's, that's having good people around you. You just got to make decisions. So, are you going to be a slave to your business, or are you going are you going to enjoy it? I chose to enjoy it. Do you
0: work for the business, or does the business work for you? Well, the
2: business works for me. And know, if like you do everything right, you get all your toys.
0: <laughs> yes, well, yeah. and toys you guys do have horses yeah. and helicopters and
2: well, the he- helicopter everybody. Goes. Well, that's a um, that's tool. all
0: tax deductible, um, all
2: right? Yeah, why why have you got a forty four? Well, it was cheaper than a new twenty two. At the time.
0: And I've got kids.
2: <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. And it's faster if I want to go to camp, Darth and Beck's going to drive. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, guys. So, some of the, I so say, are you, oh no, but you are driving this weekend to Pussycat?
2: Yes. You won't yeah. be
0: flying. You've got to, you've got to do the bare ground peasant like the rest of us. Unfortunately, I
2: didn't get my uh, ducks lined up. I, um, I need a, need a service. So, uh, it's, it hasn't enough hours on it to go.
0: Rookie error. Rookie yeah. error. Um, so, yeah, I think I, that's something that, yeah, we kind of covered off in Beck's episode and you've just alluded to there is that there is this quality of life over, I suppose, quantity of assets and quantity
2: of work and whatnot. You've, you've got to get people around you that you can trust um, and, and you feel comfortable and they feel comfortable with you. And, um, you know, I'm lucky with Abra. He he's, um, he's always been – well, he was a jackaroo here, then he left – but he's always had my way of thinking. He he's sort of things like me. Um, I don't think I had a great influence on him the way he, when he was here, here as a jackaroo. But um, he went on and jackarooed elsewhere, and and he was a park ranger for a while. And I, th- I think that um, that helped him a great deal, especially in his people handling skills. And um, he just there's no. There's no grey areas with our bro. It's, you guys are going to do this. I think on the second morning it was here, we'd, we sat down and beforehand and I told him what we are going to do and this is how we're going to do it and, and whatever. And he's come in and I had a couple of jackaroos here. They weren't, weren't too bad either. And he said, right, are we going to do this, this and this today? And, um, you go over to the, sh- and he hadn't been here for four years, I think. And he said, Oh, this is over there, 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 and then go and grab this. Um, you find it in this corner of the shed that, and, uh, and he turned around to me and, um, Steve and he, uh, he sort of stumbled and stopped and I said, keep going, keep going. Um, he goes, but I said, keep going. I like the way you're talking. And, uh, he told me what I had to do for the day. And, and, um, yeah, pretty, pretty much that was it, which was what I was going to do anyway. But, um, I thought, well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, uh, and away we went.
0: Yeah, he is pretty, pretty handy. You've got some very good people here between him and Fran and, and, and Miss Kay and. Oh,
2: Fran was just a bonus. Oh yeah, yeah. I
1: know.
0: Yeah. Well, she I bet that only she only
2: came here for six weeks. I know. And yeah. then, yeah, well, lot and lot
0: then Aro did a good job and she's here however many years yeah. later. So <laughs> what I really want to know now is like where to from here?
2: Well, I think I'm at a stage where I'm actually seeing the light at the end of the tunnel into what I want to do. Oh, I thought, yeah.
0: I was like, Well, you've still got a few years before you fall off the Oh, yeah, yeah, team. yeah. No,
2: <laughs> no I, I mean, before it, I, it was just this long list. Um, of to-do. Of to-do. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, I, I, the end of, of those projects, I think you might. Yeah. Like, well, it's those, those projects that was long out in front of me. We, I'm getting to the end of those.
0: So what, what's 30 left? 30 years later.
2: Yeah. Um, just, just gotta uh finish some of the water infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um I'm slowly getting it so it's and water's always been our big problem here. Um I'm slowly getting it so that we, it's not something we are a slave to over summer. Um with our telemetry and that it's it's that's been one of the godsends um since since it's been implemented. I mean it's been over fifteen years now we've been using it and um it's just one of those tools that I've never regretted.
0: And so, telemetry is.
2: Well, t- telemetry is. Um, it's just a radio transmitter in our case that's um, on every tank that's got a level sensor in the tank, and it just transmits the, the level of level of the water of the tank back to us. Um, we ha- did have one camera in the early stages, um, and that used to go. Uh, that was on the MLA website so that people could actually get on and have a look at what, um, the observant gear was doing and what the tank level sensor says it was. You could look across it. It went across the tank. You could see how much water was in the tank and you could look at the trough. And, um, yeah, that, that was, that was pretty good.
0: You wouldn't want to come out and be cleaning the trough and like, Go to the toilet or scratch your butt or...
2: You, it's amazing. We we spent... Uh, where that camera was, I spent uh three weeks there revamping the yards because it's one of the major yards we use for, for our steers. And out of that three weeks, we got on the camera once. Oh, God And it on. took four shots a day. Oh, oh,
0: okay. I thought you meant it was like a live stream.
2: No, no, and no. I was no, like, no, could no,
0: you no. imagine if you're out there and you just like you start going to the toilet or you're like scratching your butt or something or like, no,
2: no, no, you know... No, no, no. I just took four, four photos. Oh a day.
0: gosh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, okay. So some water infrastructure. What else is a?
2: Um, got a few, few more laneways to do. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really loving my laneways. Um, I spent so long and I started off in, uh, bull catches here and then quads and whatever. Now I'm sort of getting to the slower stage where I, I don't mind sitting on a horse beyond a, behind a mob of cattle in a laneway. Um, it's a little bit more therapeutic, you might say. Um,
0: do you ever think it's sort of, oh, well, not a catch 22, but you've, you've put in so much work to change and things have, you know, the way you muster and run this place now is so different to when you got here that in a sense, like your kids never won't really know how it was back and you know, how hard it has been. Like, you know, for them mustering oh, today, like-, like that's what they know, but it's for, like, that's a lot. Different to what you start off with, and a lot easier. And it's—I
2: remember when we first come here, you'd be yarding up, you would be absolute chaos. You know, we yeah, were, it was hessian wings and and um, clean skin bulls and cows and bull catchers, and oh, sometimes you'd throw horses in amongst it too. Uh, heaven forbid, but yeah, it was mostly bull catchers and helicopters. And then, yeah, over a period of time, I gradually got rid of the hessian and put in permanent wings and. Um, cause we, 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 trap here too. So every water has, has a trap yard on it. And, uh, when, when we do a muster, we'll set, uh, the traps two, three days ahead of us. And, um, we just go from, you know, holding paddock to holding paddock. So each paddock might have three holding paddocks and three sets of yards in it. Um, some are permanent, majority of them are portables now. Um, I just couldn't see the sense in, um, building all these yards and, Sometimes it, you know, that particular design doesn't work in that area, so we've changed them all around. Now I think, um, admittedly, we didn't have many cattle last round, but um, we did it all in ten days, and yeah. uh, the time before that, um, I think, with the, before we destocked, I think it was a, a bit over a month it gets to go go through it. But yeah, like I said, I come out of it better the last time than all, all the previous times.
0: So do you, do you ever look at the girls, though, and go, oh, gosh, you guys have got it easy?
2: Yeah, I, I do, actually. I mean, they um, they haven't done, like, as kids, mustering and that like what we used to. Uh, most of our mustering in the Philip Creek days, um, you know, there was not a lot of money in those days. And um, all our mustering was done in the school holidays. But Dad had to stock camp and we bring three or four mates home with us, and they'd all get stuck on a horse whether they could ride or not. And <laughs> yeah, they'd all go go back swearing. They'd never come back, most of them, I think. Um, so, yeah.
0: And looking back on your journey so far, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson that you've learned?
2: Uh, well, over the years, I, I think... Um, There's there's no such word as can't. If you want to do it, you can. Um, But you might not do it today, but you'll certainly get it tomorrow.
1: Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations Team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agricultural industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and they service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. If
0: you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au, where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations. And we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au. And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.